Wow, it's great to be here and see all these people that I do not know. I I think I met maybe uh, five or six people that I know and recognize and remember from those early days. And uh, it's, it's wonderful. It's gratifying to see you all. There's a lot to cover today in the time allotted to me, so I'm going to jump right in. And I'm going to start with giving you a little bit of biographical, autobiographical information. Honest, I, I don't often do this in a sermon. I don't want you to get the impression, oh, he's the pastor who always talks about himself in, in the sermons. Those poor people down in Joppa have to endure that. Uh, but maybe it'll help you to know a little you know, biography anyway. So this leads into the sermon. So when I was 13 years old, I was a drummer. Enjoyed hearing your drummer today. Uh, I was really into being a drummer, and my sister, older than me, was dating the trombone player in a very large, really well-known, established soul band. Anybody like soul? So it was really good. All right, th- three hands went up. So a uh, really great soul band in Baltimore, and they needed a drummer, and even though I was just 13, uh, because she was dating him, he'd get put in a word for me, and I got the job being the drummer in this really fine soul band and we played a whole lot of stuff and you know, did, did other things that were really great. So soul music, of course, you do some Aretha Franklin. Now, any more people, you recognize Aretha Franklin? Uh, the other six people who are over 40 all raise their hands. So uh, one of her songs, now I'm going to really test your musical knowledge and date myself, is called Chain of Fools. Have you heard Chain of Fools? Chain, 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 chain of fools, all right? So... Here's something about me. I played the drums to that song many, many, many times, many places. Listen to that song a lot. I listen to a lot of music. I really love music. I still play the drums once a month in our church band. Uh, it's just fun doing that. Uh, but my entire life, I've never been able to figure out what the words are in a song. Like, I can, I can hear the drums. I can hear all the other instruments. I, can, I know the melody. I can hear what they're singing. But I have no idea what they're singing. Which really works for me, because you can listen to a lot more music that way when you don't know what they're singing. Like, you can listen to Lady Gaga and really enjoy that, because you don't know what she's saying, all right? So I can't figure out what they're saying. It's always been, does anybody else have that problem? All right, okay, all right. More hands went up that time. That's good. Also over 50. Um, anyway, it's worse now than it used to be. So, honest, till about a year ago, I thought that song said, change, change, change. And it says, chain, 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 chain of fools. I thought it said, change of fools, like she said. I had one fool and I changed him for another. (laughs) I thought it was change, change, change. So a couple nights ago, when I got to work on this passage that I was asked to to preach through, uh, and it's about change, it's about how do we change. Songs always come to my mind to kind of illustrate things. Words remind me of songs, mostly from the 60s, but some newer ones too. So uh, I immediately thought of that song, Change, Change, Change. I'll use that somehow. And then I remembered, oh no, that's not what it says. <laughs> it says, Chain of Fools. All that to introduce this sermon, it is about change. It's about change, change, change. It's called deep change. Would you open your Bible, please? Ephesians chapter 4. I want to read the passage. It's rather long, so you'll want it in front of you. If you're using the Bible under the chair there, it's page 978. And uh, if you're using your app, well, you can find it. Uh, Ephesians 4, 17 through 32. A long passage. We're going to cover it today, Lord willing. Follow in your Bible, please. Here we go. The Apostle Paul writes, and this is God's word. Now this I say, and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened 
in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. This is about change. We especially see it in the three verbs, the three imperatives, the three commands in uh, the middle section. Verse 22, put off your old self. Verse 23, be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Verse 24, put on the new self. Put off, be renewed, put on. Three verbs, that's our outline. We're going to really consider those things today. So let me back up and give you the second introduction to the sermon, which is poor form, but oh well, I'm a visitor, I can get away with it. Um, If you're older than 10, and if you're paying any attention at all to yourself, you are aware of things about yourself that you would like to change. You are aware of things about yourself that you just don't like, but they haven't changed, and you seem powerless to change them. Other people want them to change. Your family wants them to change. You don't, be, you don't seem to be able to change. It might be the way you use your tongue. It might be your temper. It might be your sarcasm and your biting, cutting words. It might be your moods. It might be that you're lazy and need to be diligent. It might be that you're angry and need to become patient. There are things about yourself that you'd like to change, but it's hard to change. Sometimes we can bring about some incremental, some little step changes in ourselves, but bringing about deep change or radical change, like the passage calls for, it's hard to change. And the Bible confirms that when it says in the Old Testament, Jeremiah 13, 23, can the Ethiopian change his skin, or can the leopard change his spots? Then also you can do good who are accustomed to do evil. I mean, picture a leopard and he's got spots. And he says, I'm tired of these spots. I want to be, you know, solid black. 
I want to be stripes. I want to be something. He can't do a thing about it. He can't change. And God, through Jeremiah, says, that's how it is for you trying to change. Just as hard as it is for him to change spots, it's hard for you to change things in your life. How how can I change? That's the question we're thinking about today. Which, by the way, is a way, way better question than how can I change him? Or how can I change you? We often focus on how can I change him? We seldom focus on how can I change me? And all too often in a marriage what's happening is he's thinking, how can I change her? And she's thinking, how can I change him? And what needs to happen is he needs to focus on himself and change the things he's got some control over, and she needs to do the same. At the very best, we can influence other people to change through giving words of exhortation, through praying for them, through admonishing them. We could influence them, but I can't change my wife, and she can't change me. I can change me. So it's a way better question to ask, how can I change, than to ask, how can I change them? How can I change? Our passage gives us this simple formula. You're to put off, you're to be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and you're to put on. So we're going to think about those three things in the time that's given to us. First, you're to put off, verse 22. You're to put off. That simply means stop it. Stop it. Knock it off. Cease. Desist. That thing that you're doing... And maybe the Holy Spirit taps somebody on the shoulder right now and says, yeah, that thing. Stop. Stop doing that thing. Put it off. How do I change? The first thing you do here is is you stop. You put it off. You've been angry at people. You've been angry at your husband. You've been angry at your wife. You've been acting in anger toward your children. You've been angry at your mother and father. And the passage says, stop. You have to stop being angry. Or you've been, you're married but you've been flirting with the girl at work. And you love it when she flirts with you and she comes over and puts her hand on your arm when she's talking to you and you get little goosebumps about that and you're letting that happen. And the passage says, stop. Just, just stop that. Or you've been wallowing in self-pity. You've got the Eeyore complex. You know, why should I care? Nobody else does. Stop. Stop the wallowing in self-pity. So, the passage says, here's one thing you've got to do if you're going to have deep change. Uh, you've got to put things off. And all of us in this room, right? Everybody in this room has things to put off. Um, in case you're wondering, I'm 61. And I've been a Christian for 43 years. So I've been putting things off by the power of the gospel, by the power of the Holy Spirit, for 43 years. And you know what I've discovered? It's like playing, you know the, gate, you know the whack-a-mole thing? Right? There, there's holes in the board, and the head comes up, and you whack it, and as soon as you do, it disappears, and it comes up in another hole, and that's just how our sins are, and the things that we need to put off. And as soon as you whack one with Scripture and the power of the Holy Spirit, another thing pops up, and at 61, same old stuff, still popping up, same old sins, same old temptations, still, still popping up, and my responsibility is to put them off. But too often, that's all we focus on. We forget the rest of the passage. Too often, we just focus on, i got to stop doing that. Mm, I'm going to try. I'm going to try really hard. Mm, I'm going to stop doing that. And you probably won't succeed if that's the totality of your effort. So let's look at the next thing, rather briefly, this one, where he says in verse 23, And 
Here's what you were taught in Christ Jesus. Here's what the gospel teaches you. You are to be renewed in the spirit, in the spirit of your mind. Those words spirit and mind, the spirit of your mind, that takes you inside. That goes internal. Now we're burrowing down to where there is deep change. Somebody wrote of verse 23, this speaks of an inner renewal. The spirit of your mind is the inner person, the core of our being, our motives. I love that the gospel, the gospel changes our motives. The gospel changes our loves. The gospel changes the things that make us unhappy and angry. Uh, it changes us deeply. It changes us at the level of our, of our heart. That's why there's so many verses about the heart and the inner person. Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all diligent from it, from it flow the springs of life. Matthew 12.35, the good person out of his good treasure of his heart brings forth good. Matthew 15.19, out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. Luke 6.45, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. Um, the scripture speaks so often of the, the deep level of your heart. And Paul's getting to that here. First he says, put off. That's kind of surface. Stop doing that thing. But then he says, we've got to go much deeper. You need to go down to your, your motives and your desires and your will. I love the verse where the Apostle Paul says, um, it is God who works in you both to will and to do. You have inside of you a willer, and you have inside of you a doer. Your willer is the thing that wills. Yes, I will. Your doer is the thing that does. And God works on both of those. He works on your willer so that it wills and desires new things. I don't want to do that anymore. I want to do this now. Where would that come from? The gospel and the power of Christ. He works on your willer. And he works on your doer to give you power to do the new thing that you will. But the level of the will is, is the deep change. He changes your desires. He changes your passions. He changes your loves. He changes your hates. And the scriptures teach us that sin begins in the heart and works outward. So it's a change of heart that we're really after. And how do I change my heart? And how do I be renewed in the spirit of my mind? Well, there are a lot of ways, but basically, right, it's scripture. It, it's scripture. The sword of the spirit to cut away the old stuff is the word of God. So you're struggling with lustful thoughts. What do you do? Put, some, put the sword in the, in the hand of the Spirit. Memorize some scripture about that. You're struggling with coveting. You're struggling with jealousy. Here's one of my favorite illustrations of jealousy, and I get to use it on some new people, and I hope they haven't heard it somewhere already, because uh, I can only use it every now and then in my own pulpit. You know, So, so not to pick on the ladies, but you're a, you're a lady. And there's this... There's this Don't laugh yet. You haven't heard it. There's this coat, this jacket you've been looking at at the department store. And it's really, it is an awesome coat. And you want that coat. And you've been there three times and you stand there and look at it. And you look at the price tag and you say, I know I can't. You come back again, you look at it, still the same price. I know I can't. I really want that coat. You really can't. I just can't. You've been thinking about the coat and desiring the coat and wanting the coat, and you can't have the coat because you could never explain to your husband how much you spent on that coat. And then you roll into church here next Sunday, and there's that lady that you don't really even particularly like, and she's wearing that coat. 
And the Bible says, rejoice with those who rejoice. And you're supposed to say, I'm thankful that you are able to have that coat and mean it from your heart. You're supposed to be able to say, thank you, Lord, for blessing her with that gift. So you're, you're struggling with that. That's got to go down into the deep level of your heart. You've got, to, you've got to put some scripture in your life so you can rejoice with those who rejoice. You've got to meditate on that passage. You've got to memorize that. So there's some deep change going on inside of your heart. So you're to put off, and secondly, you're to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And thirdly, verse 24, you are to pardon me, put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So the third thing you do is you put on, you put on. I don't know how we justify this from Scripture, but I like it. A lot of teachers say that's the one you really ought to focus on. Focus on putting on. Focus on on putting on. It's the principle of replacement. And Paul's going to give examples of this that teach us you have not changed till you've replaced the bad thing with the good thing. Like, you're envious. You have not stopped envying until you have started rejoicing in their good fortune. You're not rehabilitated until you've put on the opposite thing. He's going to give us a bunch of examples of that. Look, for example, down at verse... Um, look at verse... 25, that, that will start there. We'll look at several of these. Where he says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. When is a liar no longer a liar? When they stop lying? No, that's just a liar who's temporarily out of business. That's just a liar who's holding it back, but maybe all kinds of lies and deceit are going on inside of their brain because we, we lie to ourselves often before we lie to others. When is a liar no longer a liar? When they speak truth. When they rigorously cross-examine their own thoughts, saying, wait a minute, is that really true? Or am I just you know, creating that because it's what I want? Can I really believe that? And is the thing I'm saying really true? Uh, when is a liar no longer a liar? It's like that old saw, that old statement. Have you heard it? Uh, when is a door no longer a door? You know that? And what's the answer? When it's a jar. In other words, a door is no longer a door when a door becomes something else. And a liar is no longer a liar when they become something else. And what is the something else? They become a truth teller, and they're into truth, and they're rigorous about telling the truth, and they cross-examine their words and their thoughts. Wait a minute, is this the truth? And he goes on to give other examples of this. Uh, verse 29, be angry and don't sin. Don't let the sun go down in your anger. When are you no longer angry? When you resolve things. And you resolve them rather quickly. By the way, don't get too literal about that. Don't let the sun go down in your anger. Suppose, what time does the sun go down tonight? 5.30? Let's say 5.30. Suppose at 5.29, you and your wife have a big knockdown, drag out, blow up fight. You say, oh my gosh, dear, we got 30 seconds to fix this. <laughs> The sun's going down. I wouldn't get too literal. It just means fast, all right? It just means settle the thing quickly. When, when is an angry person no longer angry? When they know how to resolve conflicts and bring about peace and joy and unity again. Um, I like verse 20, 28. Let the thief no longer steal. Let, let me just take an actual, actual hands up here. How many of you have ever stolen something? All right. The rest of you are, need to look at the lying passage. All right. Notice it says, 
And I became a believer when I was 17. And I had one of those conversions that was darkness to light. I had one of those that needed radical change in the life. I needed a whole change of personnel in my life because if I'm with them again, it's going to be bad. Um, And one of the things I would do occasionally was steal stuff from where I worked or whatever. And I thought it was fun. I thought it was cool. And I always got away with it. I never got caught. You want to hear an interesting example? (laughs) I'm talking about me again. Um, I I used to work alone at a shoe factory on Tuesday and Thursday nights after school, just doing cleanup and stuff. My uncle worked there. He got me this job. And I had to clock in. Remember those days? And I had to clock out. Put your card back in the rack. And I looked at the clock, and I thought, I bet I can take that thing apart, wind it forward, clock out, wind it back again, and go home. So I, I wound it forward... And I clocked out, and then I found out I had to go like a month away to get it back to, I had to go forward, forward, forward through a whole month to get it back to where it started. And I stood there for a long time. I should have just been working. It would have been easier (laughs) fixing the thing. But I stole, you see, I stole time. I stole money saying I was there working and I wasn't. So, So this convicted me when I heard this. Let the thief, that was me, no longer steal. There's the put off. But when is a thief rehabbed? When is a thief no longer a thief? When he becomes a giver, a really generous giver. Notice what it says. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands with a purpose. What's the purpose? It's a purpose clause. So that he may have something to share with anyone in need. When is a thief no longer a thief? When he says, they offered me overtime. And I'm going to work overtime so I can make massive extra bucks so I can give it to that family and church that has a need. Now that guy's no longer a thief. He's rehabbed. He's become a giver, a very generous giver, so generous he'll work just to make money to give. Take it literally. This is Scripture. This is what the Holy Spirit says. If you've been a thief, learn to work to give. That's your rehabilitation. And it just goes on and on. Uh, Verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Interesting verse. The older versions, like the King James Version said, let no rotten speech come out of your mouth. It's a Greek word, the word rotten or corrupting. Greek word sapros, which was used of rotting vegetables that you threw in the the garbage pile. So the question is, is it rotten words? Does that mean like potty mouth? Or is it rotting words, words that will corrupt somebody else. Like, hey, come steal this with me. Now you're corrupting them. I don't know which it is. Leave you to settle that. But let no sapros words come out of your mouth. But instead, when when is your mouth rehabbed? When you speak words that are good for building up, as fit the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. So, uh, we're to put on the new self. We're to put off and be renewed in our mind about our sins, and we're to, we're to, we're to put on. Hey, back to the lying for a minute, because I just glanced at my notes and realized there's something I wanted to say there and didn't, so you, you can handle this. Back to the lying for a minute. Uh, verse 25, put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbors. I, I, I've been a pastor for a long time, and it deeply troubles me to see how many Christians distort truth, twist the story, 
only tell that part of the story, only mention those reasons for what they did that will make them look good. Uh, just to make a dumb example, let's say you went out and, and you bought a brand new Toyota Tundra crew cab lifted 36s, like I'm riding that with you, all right? You bought a truck, that's what, like 60 grand or something for that truck? I was thinking of selling my old Jeep recently and buying a used pickup, until I looked at used pickup prices and I said, I'll keep the Jeep, thank you very much. Uh, but you went out and you bought a $60,000 truck and you drive it home and your wife says, uh, what's that? Well, honey, I bought a truck. Why'd you buy it? And you give her all the reasons that aren't the real reason. You give her, well, you know, mine was falling apart. Mine didn't get very, very good gas mileage. This one's much more efficient. Mine, blah, blah. Mine, the other, my, you know, and so on. You know what the real reason is? You wanted it. Just say the real reason. I wanted it. I saw it. I coveted. I wanted it. Other guys at work have them. I wanted one too. Tell the truth. We're not very good at that. I get, I get disillusioned sometimes as a pastor at the lack of truthfulness that people in our church give me when we're talking about issues. You, get, you don't get that, do you? These people are all... <laughs> see, he can't shake his head. He can't agree to that in front of you all. I'm having lunch with them. I'll get the true story later. Uh, we're to be like the God who cannot lie. So, we're, we're to put off. Here's what somebody wrote. God intends for Christians to pursue the putting on of the biblical alternatives to whatever they are trying to put off. Concentrating on what needs to be put on is necessary in overcoming sinful tendencies. These sinful tendencies, these habits, are patterns of learned ways of living. They must be unlearned and replaced with new biblical habits, patterns, and tendencies. So that was a lot of verses. That's all I'm going to do in dealing with them. Now I have a couple of observations. That's what I'll call them in closing. You all love that word closing, right? You go, okay, he's about to land the plane. That's good news. Well, it'll take a few minutes. Observations. Number one, you'll hate me for this. You'll fight me over this, but I want to say it again. You can't change other people. You can maybe influence them toward incremental change. But you can't change them. Struggling marriage, difficulties. You want him to change. You want her to change. Focus on changing yourself. And maybe when you've changed yourself enough, it will give them hope. I see him changing. Maybe things can be better. But as long as everybody's focusing on the I need to change her. You tell the council, she needs to change. You're not going to get anywhere. You can't change other people. You can exhort. You can admonish. The Bible never says, wives... Change your husband. Single ladies, here's a word of advice for you. Absolutely, under no circumstances, should you ever, ever, ever meet a guy, fall in love with a guy, say, I'm going to marry the guy, and in the back of your brain you're saying, and I'll change him. It isn't going to work. Many, many women have tried that. It isn't going to work. You're going to be very disillusioned. Stop trying to change other people. Focus on what can change about you. Here's a, here's a good question to ask yourself. What three things should I really change about me? I bet you know them right away about you. I bet you know them. Here's just a second thing briefly. When you can't change, 
I'm going to be mean. It's because you don't want to. You can. When you can. Say, I can't. Can. Can't. Can't. By the way, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will always be able to do this, uh, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but will with the temptation give you a way of escape so that you may be able to bear it. That verse says that a Christian can't ever say, I can't. I can't. You can. I can't. You can. I can't. You can. God will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. And if you can't change, it's because maybe you don't feel enough pain yet. Maybe things haven't gotten bad enough. You don't want to change. God works in us to will. He works on our willer. You don't let him, want him working on your willer. I'll just confess to you, transparency is good. I have one guy in my church who's constantly telling me, this is the drama always be, more transparency, more transparency. All right, all right, transparency. In Harrisburg today, where no one knows me. Uh, my entire life, I have not been an angry person. My father is the biggest sweetheart on the planet, and I guess a little bit of that got into me, and I've been a happy person, and I've not been an angry person, and I've not had anger issues. But surprisingly, I have found rather recently that sometimes I'm getting angry about something. And, I don't know, does that come with age? I don't know what that is, but I'm getting angry about some things. And I have discovered that when I'm angry, I feel like it's righteous. And it would be wrong to let go of that anger. That thing deserves some anger. Does this resonate with anybody? No, no one's raising hands. All right, there's one honest guy, two honest guys, three, all right, love you brothers. And it's like, I, I need to hang on to this anger because it's just that thing deserves this kind of recognition of my anger. I'm finding this coming up inside. It's a new whack-a-mole. <laughs> a new one. <laughs> Take scripture and bop that thing. Uh, but I can't just say, well, I can't change that. Yeah, if it doesn't change, it's because I don't want to. Here, here's another thing uh, in, in closing, just very briefly. You've, you've failed. You've tried to change and you've failed. And you tried again and you failed. And you tried again and you failed. So you've given up. I understand. But dear brother and sister, God is the God of the second and third and fourth and fifth chances. There's fresh grace for you at the throne of grace as many times every day as you need it. I'm supposed to forgive my brother 70 times 7 because that's how the Lord forgives me. So just get up, go back to the throne of grace, go back to Jesus, go back to following him. You failed, don't give up, keep on. And here's the last thing I'll, I'll say. And when you want to change, enlist some help because there's a body of Christ. James says, for example, confess your faults to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. That would be a healthy thing if... I mean, don't go crazy, you'd become unhealthy. But that'd be a healthy thing if, after this service, you go to somebody and say, man, I've been this thing, it's my fault, I, I want to confess. Can I confess this to you and tell you about it so you will pray with me right now and you will pray for me and next week and the week after and the week after, you will tap me on the shoulder and say, I'm praying for you, how's that thing going? See, now you're getting real about putting off and putting on and being renewed. You're making yourself accountable to a brother or sister of Christ. Confess your sins to one another that you, and pray for one another that you may be changed. So, here's where I'll close it. 
What three things? All right, that's too hard. What one thing should you really work on to change in yourself? What do you need to put off, be renewed about, and put on? There's the thing I want you to pray about right now. We're going to take a moment, and each of us silently pray, and then I'll close in prayer. Then Pastor Matt, I think, takes it from there. Bow and pray with me, please, silently for a moment. Change, change, change. Lord Jesus, by your grace, for the honor and glory of your name, change us, we pray. With deep change. With the kind that the scriptures and the Holy Spirit work in our minds and in our hearts. We pray that you would not leave us alone. That you would use your chosen means, the various means, be they suffering and pain, be they friends who help, whatever they might be. Use the means and make us more like Christ our Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen.